Welcome to the Changemakers Podcast, brought to you by Graf Martin Communications, where we discuss ministry, marketing, and leadership for good. I'm your host, Ellen Graf Martin, and each episode you get to join me in conversation with some of the most interesting changemakers and groundbreakers from across Canada and beyond. Today on the Changemakers Podcast, I have my friend Tim Day. Tim served for 14 years in a senior leadership role at The Meeting House, which is where I got to know him. Now, Tim works with The Impact Network and Waybase.com, a great new platform with 30,000 listings of churches, leaders, and organizations across Canada, helping people and Christian ministries find each other, partner together, and show collective impact. Tim also works with City Movement Canada and is the author of God Enters Stage Left. Every single time I talk with Tim, I learn so much. So be prepared. You are going to learn a lot in this episode. We will be discussing engaging the next generation in the purpose of the church, why it is so important for churches and organizations to adapt to current communication methods and ministry methods, and practical ways to increase collaboration within your church or ministry. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get started. Thanks for joining us, Tim. My privilege. Thank you, Ellen. This is It's really great to have you here. And I don't know if I've ever told you this, but uh, one of the ways I always remember you at the meeting house was because you made me cry. Oh, really? And I don't know if you know that. No. There was a sermon. It must have been four or five years ago at Easter you preached, and you had a sermon, and you talked about God with us, and not just um, with us, but about how he actually took our place as his children. Mm-hmm. And it was right after my daughter almost passed away. Mm-hmm. And you used this example of God or Jesus getting onto the table right. <laughs> in the child's place who was dying um, in a hospital. And I was like weeping. Right. So you have a gift of preaching. You had a great job at the meeting house. That's where I met you. We got to work together, but you've done a lot of things. <laughs> so when did you step out of leadership at the meeting house? Well, it'll be um, close to five years uh, this spring when I uh, transitioned, yeah. So you wrecked me and then left, basically. <laughs> basically. Is what you did. Yeah, basically. Thanks for your discipleship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so you transitioned out five years ago to do what? Um, it was actually a process that led up to that point, uh, multi-years, multiple years. In a role like that, the Meaning House, um, you know, kind of in my role, I was overseeing all of the different locations and the staff team and ended up connected to a ton of conversations in Canada and in the United States. And, um, you know, you know this and your listeners probably know this, that there's been a lot of research about the younger generation exiting mm-hmm. uh, or not as engaged. And um, that's been a huge thing from David Kinnaman's work, you know, that he's uh, been doing with Barna and then here in Canada, Hemorrhaging Faith, Rick Heemstra is the first to do this. And in all those conversations realized, you know, I was in a very, um, let's say, comfortable role, very predictable role. You know, could kind of point to anywhere in the calendar and I know exactly what I was doing after 14 years of, of leading the church. I, I kind of knew exactly what I was doing. There's a small team of us that became increasingly um, moved, I guess. The, the, these conversations were happening at different events that were taking place. It's like, we might be comfortable, but... It's uh, this is going to sound like a bad image, but it's like, are we on the Titanic? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, are we on some sort of collective Titanic that we're all you know moving deck chairs around and having dinner parties and doing things? But there's something coming, mm-hmm. and to take you know a lot of processing and prayer and distill it down, I felt like 
what God is calling us to, to kind of get out of very secure positions, get in a little speedboat Hmm. and zip ahead and look around. And so that's essentially, it was out of obedience, you know, a sense of just God calling us to do this, that we took a step of faith, some people and different um, uh, kind of people believed in us got behind us. And we went out and started that work. And some of the evolution, some things you're talking about now grew out of that, that season. Yeah, that initial season. And that Titanic deck chair image is a great one. But I think when a lot of people, if anyone knows the meeting house, they wouldn't be thinking that the meeting house is the Titanic. They're I like no, leading I was, it. Well, I, I, yeah. yeah I, I'm saying it's more the collective church. Okay, that's good. You know, like I'm saying, is there something in the West even? I won't even say the global church, just in the Western church. And you you can, if you follow the news, you'll hear it appear every now and then in headlines mm-hmm. around churches closing and, you know, younger generations are donating the way they used to donate all these things. And uh, uh, so anyways, yeah, it was more the collective church and and feeling like we could be fine. I might retire mm-hmm. fine, but the Lord seemed to have something else mm. in mind. So so that's kind of because, you know, one of the questions that I have, and I don't know if we can get into that here, <laughs> is what does it take to move someone from that safe role in ministry to stepping out into what is the new and the not yet and the scarier. <laughs> um, you had good people behind you, I think. Yeah, maybe I'll make a couple comments on that. I think it's, um, I heard somebody say this, you know, the, uh, probably multiple people have said this. The first person a leader leads is themselves. Hmm. You know, before you can lead anybody else, you have to be able to lead yourself. And in that process of leadership over the years, one of the things that I've thought about is, Sometimes I have expectations for other people in leadership, but then I have to pause and say, am I living up to my own expectations? Mm -hmm. And so as I've applied that principle over my life, I realized one of the things that I, when I was younger, I expected was that older leaders would be able to make those types of changes when it was needed. Mm -hmm. Versus the other thing that I saw sometimes growing up is where leaders wouldn't transition Mm -hmm. because they were too comfortable. They had become too um, used to being you know, leading at a table, having a position, a status, you know, having some of the the uh, comforts, mm-hmm. and they just wouldn't leave it. They mm-hmm. would hang on, mm-hmm. you know, past how long they should, you know, should leave. They mm-hmm. and even when you say you could do something else, they wouldn't let go. I remember, you know, mm. just thinking to myself, I don't want to be that leader. I want to allow God to lead me, and when I knew that God was leading, take those steps of faith and and take those risks. And uh, keep practicing trusting God, you know, not get to the point where I'm like, now I'm so secure. I don't have to trust God because I can trust my paycheck mm. and I can trust all sorts of things. I can trust my routines and all of that. So that, that I would say for anybody who's thinking about this, if you're a younger leader, um, you know, you have to kind of mentally prepare yourself for your own future. Mm. You have to think about the future and plan for, plan for what is not just what your organization is going to do next, but what are you going to do next? And not assume that it's always about you hmm. getting the next mm-hmm. big promotion mm-hmm. or the next big thing that you might have to take a risk and step out and start again or go into a more, how do you say, entrepreneurial um, phase even later in life. So just Which a couple is, of thoughts. It's terrifying. And you know, I've, for some people, and I've been talking to people recently who are in a ministry role and it is just so secure. And we've been talking about how that actually can become a trap. 
Totally. Um, instead of you, you aren't able to hold your hands loosely around it because right. it's your your job becomes your security, your identity, you know, your familiarity, your, your workmates become your friends, you know, and it just becomes, you know, you you kind of uh, you kind of migrate into this over time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just happen overnight. You kind of migrate, but you have to stay aware. As leaders, you have to stay aware. You also the other thing mm-hmm. too is, um. You want to step out of roles so that younger leaders can take them. It's not healthy for organizations for the best roles to always be held by the most senior people. It doesn't allow any space mm. for younger leaders to take on significant roles and help things innovate and change. And so anyways, that that was some of my thinking. It just felt like the Lord was calling me to do that. And that would be good for the meeting house to be good for what was next in my horizon. And so it took that step of faith and it's, and it's been an unbelievable learning experience. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a second of it. And incredible, um, because I think if you hadn't done that, if if there hadn't been, if everyone had said, okay, this is too big, we don't know what the way look for way forward looks like, um, we would be missing a lot of data right now. And so something, the way that you and I connected is I actually, or reconnected, is I saw an article out of a BC Christian newspaper yes. talking about what you were doing um, with city movement there. I think you were doing a talk, or at least they they called it that. I don't know if that's what it was. Mm-hmm. But um, I read it and I thought, I really need to connect with Tim and see what he's doing. And because I feel like there is great... Um, affinity between what we do and what you do in our heart and your heart. And so it's been really, really fun to get to work with you over the, well, work. It doesn't feel like work. Like we've just gotten to talk a lot, right? Um, We'll call it work. We'll call it work. But uh, what it led to was you sharing at our Changemakers Conference in August, and you shared some really interesting information. And you actually just touched on one of the pieces um, that, that you shared there about succession and about letting younger leaders step in. And I think a lot of us have opinions about this, but you actually have data. So maybe tell us how you got the data and then we'll go into what the data tells us. Okay. Um, Back when we started out in this process and city movement is like a consultant, it's more like a consultancy role. And the the big issues that we're focusing on there is how do we engage next generation in in our city centers um, and how do we engage them? How are they doing? How do they fit into the mission and purpose of the church? And then a second part of that is how do we show collective impact? Cities are complex, they're big, and it's very easy to kind of disappear and not make a difference and not, not know if you're making a difference. And so we that was we, we stepped out to just do some deep listening, call it the year of 150 coffees. Mm-hmm. And then we did a millennial think tank. Um, where we um, had 30 millennial leaders, 22 to 32 years old, and we spent time just really listening to them uh, and did three days intensive in New York City and just kind of absorbed what they were processing. It was out of that that uh, what emerged from multiple points was that the Christian sector is going to have a hard time taking steps forward the way that it's presently organized because nobody really knows what each other is doing. And in the, the new world operates in a sense of at least knowing what other people are doing. So real estate agents have realtor.ca where they can see what everybody's doing and they get data tools on what how houses were listed. Mm-hmm. And they're not just you know going to a meeting to find something out. This is a live platform that connects us all. TripAdvisor, Expedia.ca, mm-hmm. Amazon. You just go through it. 
the whole world now is about connection. We know what everyone's publishing, producing. Producing, and it's organized. It's pretty simple for us. And then we can make better decisions and sort out where our place is. And the Christian sector, uh, charitable sector even, um, has not really done any of this work. Mm -hmm. We're kind of behind, and that's not uncommon Mm -hmm. um, in terms of it takes us sometimes you know, a little time to catch up because of our other priorities. So with that said, uh, from multiple feedback, we said, well, what would it be like to do that in Canada? And what we found was that there were people who wanted to support that, to see that happen. And so we built a small team and some foundations and some business people got behind it. And so Waybase, it's called, is in beta phase right now, organizing all, all of the public data, um, everything people put online about themselves uh, this is not spying. This is just collecting up what you're saying about yourself people, online. What do you mean? Christian organizations. Uh, so not just everybody. Uh, not everybody. Yeah. Just Christian organizations, uh, Christian charities. And uh, we actually have all charitable information. And we'll probably um, organize all of that too as well, as well as census data, all the different census data. And, and create an environment so we can see where are we, how are we doing, how are we trending, and uh, what can we learn about ourselves. And then putting an environment where both the public can learn what we offer, but also on the back end, people who want to can be a part of what we're calling an impact network mm. uh, where that networks the networks, allows whether you're in a faith tradition or a denomination or a, a city network or a youth network, whatever, you can see what every, everybody else is doing and connect with them and, and also see some of the data or the information about how we're doing mm-hmm. collectively. Mm-hmm. So anyways, that's the project. It's uh, still in progress. And, and then coming back, you know, to what we've learned, a couple of things I'll just highlight that I raised at Changemakers. First of all, one of the things that we discovered is the Christian charitable sector is much larger than the average person or even the average, the average leader would ever imagine. And you had a really good example of that there. You used the example of We Day, which everyone knows and assumes has massive impact and is flashy, has celebrity endorsements, all of these things. It's on ABC, it's yeah, television so, shows. And then the, so can you explain that? Or do you, re, you remember no, stats, I do, so yeah. you do. So uh, We Day, um, it's a great organization and want to affirm it. It raises in Canada, United States, and UK about 63 to $68 million a year. I don't know what this year will be, but it's somewhere in that range. And that gets distributed locally and globally, uh, you know, to help uh, disadvantaged uh, kids, particularly in areas of education. The Christian sector just in Canada, and ju- not the whole church, just the the welfare and related kind of directly related ministries. What would those include? That'd be like um, local city missions, Salvation Army, um, World Vision, Compassion, our you know, international mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. relief and development organizations and our local social mm-hmm. uh, service uh, organizations, not the church. I, and the reason I distinguish the churches, the church actually does a lot of this too. Mm-hmm. They have food banks. They have all sorts of things that they mm-hmm. operate as the church, distinct from a specific charity mm-hmm. that only does social service or a shelter. Mm-hmm. Just when you add up our direct equivalents, you know, we're something like $3.4 billion just, to, just in Canada. If you combine the U.S. and U.K., which would be the equivalent to We Day, we're somewhere like $60 billion. Between 64 to 68 million is We Day. With yeah, we're like a thousand and- times bigger. Okay. And nobody knows we do this. So you, you 
you think you have one chip and then a thousand chips and everybody knows the one chip and nobody knows the thousand chips, right? It's like, mm-hmm. we're, we're the, I won't say we're the best kept secret. We, we're just a secret. Mm-hmm. No, nobody really knows. And the analogy that I used, I'm like, you know, you have a 19 year old kid whose dad bought him a Ferrari mm-hmm. and he drives around and he looks like he's all that. And then you have Bill Gates standing in line, Bill and uh, Melinda Gates standing in line getting a hamburger and nobody recognizes him. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I think against you, if you're listening, we day, sorry. You're more like the kid with the Ferrari (laughs) that your dad bought you a car versus Bill and Melinda Gates who are changing the world, but nobody recognizes Mm -hmm. them at the, uh, at the uh, checkout. And I think you've touched on something and we actually in our office, we were just talking about it today is that we have so many clients coming to us who are ministries and they all say we are the best kept secret. Right. And it's actually, and and we were talking about how they're best kept secret. There's a lot of reasons for that. Um, from our perspective, from, as a marketing agency that has such a heart for these organizations to come alongside them and see them thrive, we often see that they don't have clarity on their own mission. So they're the best kept secret internally <laughs> as well as externally. And so we have a we have a brand problem in many ways. You have data around that. I mean, that right. kind of proves the point of it, I think. Yeah. And I I think in the um in terms of the, if I can say sort of the corporate culture or the psyche of the church, um one part of it is is actually pretty sweet in that we're we're humble. We aren't the type that are going to spend money on anything flashy. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd rather just kind of get in and help. You know, it's not the entire church in terms of you take all attendees everywhere. I don't want to sort of just blanket such a large group because you're talking about millions of people, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm saying that the the worker the worker bees, if you can mm-hmm. use that analogy, the people who are behind tend to be very humble people. They just want to get in and help. Uh, they don't want people to know that they're giving. They they like kind of running under the radar. There are Bible verses. Yeah, to they're, like, yeah, they're trying <laughs> to follow Jesus, yeah. right? And, and there's a lot of uh, uh, reasons why we're we have that as an instinct. Having said that, we are still Jesus uh, in His mandate to us is not just what we do, but what we say. So that means mm-hmm. we are in the communication business, and we are meant to be clearly understood. Mm-hmm. And even so clearly understood that people who don't like us are supposed to be upset with what we say. Mm-hmm. So in other words, our message is getting through, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's some of the um, challenge that we have is that we almost have to realize we're not just about serving behind the scenes, but we mm-hmm. also have a message to share. Mm-hmm. How do we be clear mm-hmm. and easily understood? And I think it isn't, a, in a sense, that kind of being the best kept secret is something that we have to um, how do we say? We have to challenge ourselves with yeah. the thing of yeah. that. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't yeah. say, you we'll know, you will be the best kept secret. Yeah. He said, you'll be my witnesses in Acts 1.8. And so what that means is we're getting the message out. So I'm gr- grateful for the yeah. work that you're doing, Ellen, because we need help in that area in this day. I think, And, you know, to be honest, I think that that clarity piece is that salt and light piece. Right. It's not about being braggy. It's no. about being salt and light, and you have to be able to taste salt and see, see light. light. And so you just have to have clarity on, on what you're doing. Anyhow, we could go on and we on about on. that. So you talked about that. So we number one, no one has any idea what the true am- impact is of what we're doing. And it's a bit astounding when we actually find out what, 
our charitable sector in Canada is actually doing. Yeah, it's amazing. It's fifty. It's almost fifteen billion in revenue, uh, just under forty billion in assets. We, are, in terms of public assembly buildings, we're the largest you know, real estate holder, best distributed, like twice as many buildings as gas stations in Canada. So, mm. like we're, uh, you know, we may not realize that if we could get even a bit organized, a bit mm-hmm. better collectively, collaboratively. You know, we have tremendous, tremendous potential um, to serve. The, the second thing I would highlight, we are the community people. Once you mm-hmm. look at our services, we we should lean into being great community in terms of we're the most language diverse, culturally diverse uh, organism in Canada. We um, service almost as many people. In terms of our staff, we're larger than the uh, provincial and federal government staff combined. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't include our volunteer force. So we just got we just have a huge amount of things to offer, and a lot of the things that we're really good at is related to communities, welcoming mm-hmm. new Canadians, um, helping people who don't have community, and in our cities, particularly, actually right across Canada, there's a lot of isolation. There's mental health related to that. There's uh, there's a need for the community people mm-hmm. presently and into the future. And so I think really I, I you know I'm, part of my discovery was in this process is our best days may be right around the corner, mm. but it, it also takes a certain amount of waking up to it mm-hmm. to realize our opportunity. This is really good news because I think that what we assume is that when we get data and information, it's bad news. Like we're going to find out how bad we really are. I think that's kind of a Canadian thing in some ways. Is we're well, like, it, it well, is, it's a human thing because some of the human th- part of our makeup is to notice bad things first. Mm. Right. We tend to mm-hmm. like, we see the mistake on the page. We don't see all the correct, correct things. Yeah. Right. That's a bit of how our neurology is wired. So I think it's a bit of a human thing, definitely a Canadian thing. You know, identify that, you know. Something else I'll mention, and that is there are lots of news reports about some parts of the church aging out or declining because of age or um, not being replaced by younger generations. But there's a tremendous influx internationally. We're becoming one of the most multicultural organisms because a lot of people immigrating to Canada want to be in community. They're very comfortable connecting to a church or they come from that type of background. And so, I, I again, I think if we just take a few steps, you know, there's going to be change. There's going to be shifts. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't think that everything will be the way it was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Abandon that. But if we're open to change, I think there's just tremendous opportunities for us to start to lean into. And I think you just said we shouldn't assume that things will be the same way that they were 20 years ago. So that recent, like when I think back 20 years, that's, <laughs> that is not that long ago. That's like 1999. Yeah. That's, or, or the 2000, the millennium. Y2K. Isn't that crazy? Remember? Yeah. Y2K, the, all the computers are going to stop. That's not that uh, long ago, but yeah. we, we have a different model. I mean, you and I were talking before the podcast about how even our model around remembering phone numbers has changed. Right. So I said, I was saying that when I moved to Ontario, I still had to remember some phone numbers and I still remember those phone numbers, but I don't remember phone numbers that I've learned in the last 10 years. Right. And everyone was kind of agreeing with that. Like we don't have to even do this. So changes happened really rapidly. Is that also something you've seen? Absolutely. Yeah. Real practically, I think for everybody listening, you'll understand this, but if you're in leadership particularly, I think it's safe to say that the the internet set the stage, but the iPhone, the emergence mm-hmm. of the iPhone mm-hmm. ha, is will be counted as much larger impact on our daily lives than the printing press or any other major mm-hmm. invention. It'll be the thing that 
And almost every organization, government, everywhere in the world is trying to adapt to people being able to communicate Mm. person to person in audio, video, real-time communication, and tons of data, Mm -hmm. not just a little photo here and there, but tons of data being able to be exchanged person to person all over the world. And so that kind of instant saturation and connection is changing everything. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the challenges right now is, and this isn't just unique to the church, and one of the messages that uh, you know, love to communicate all the way through. It isn't just uh, Christian charities or churches that are vulnerable. Everybody's vulnerable. CBS studios are vulnerable. Mm-hmm. There's every or banks are vulnerable. Governments are vulnerable. You know, every industry that can be affected by digital communication is vulnerable. Uh, because if you don't adapt, mm-hmm. you can be replaced extremely quickly. Because as soon as somebody has a new, better product, it can be distributed and whoever wants to use it can use it and jump off Mm -hmm. of what you're offering and jump to something else. And so uh, I don't think we should be afraid, but we also shouldn't be uh, sort of like um, trying to preserve the past in a kind of a false sense of finding security there. We have to have enough courage as leaders to open ourselves up, look around, find people to talk to. Mm -hmm. We talk about collaboration. Mm -hmm a lot of the early phases of collaboration is really actually just about owning our sense of vulnerability or our mm-hmm. questions, our fears, getting it out there and starting to talk to people who are somewhat on the same page, risking that and starting to talk about, okay, where can we learn? And I think, you know, and this is like a shout out again to the work that you're doing, Alan, and your team. We need help as leaders to think about this new world because mm-hmm. this new world has never existed before. This isn't a repeat of anything that's happened on the human uh, mm-hmm. to the human race. This is brand new. And so none of us are experts of this. All of us are novices. All of us are are trying to f- orient ourselves mm-hmm. and we need help. And so anyways, I just you know I'm glad you're doing this podcast because we need that type of um, guide. Yeah, and I think we need each other. Like we re- I've I have often said the Canadian church is small. We really need each other. Yes, yes. I think we are seeing from even what you've been sharing is that we actually have a really big financial impact. Yes. Is what we're seeing number 1, and we actually have a really large presence yes. that we don't appreciate. I don't think we appreciate either parts of those in ministry or in the church. Um and I think that when we take those two pieces together, um, that we can have a massive impact by being present in really relevant ways. Is that a good segue? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, um, to that, uh, like being being current. And I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast is we yes. were hosting this event called Changemakers. And I said, well, if I'm going to tell people that they need to be current and being changemakers, I need to be willing to put my money where my mouth is and not just my money, but my time. Because for a lot of us, it's actually not the money side. It's the time side because we're stretched thin because we also have, and this might be the third area to talk about, we have a bit of a succession problem. Is that fair to say? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And again, it's, we have it, everybody has it. We have a huge generational shift in the West, um, basically because of the you know, the baby boomers are, you know, starting to uh, transition or or at least are in that zone, the last of the baby boomers. There's very few Gen X. Mm-hmm. There's not, it's not- You and I are Gen X. We're Gen X, but there's not a ton of us. Yeah. And then the millennials are a big group and the Gen Z will be a big group. And so there's a bit of a, uh, how do you say, like a little bit of a valley in the population. Mm-hmm. And as a result, succession is a challenge for everybody. Mm. 
So what does that look like? And I, I mean, I laugh because I'm like, we're Gen X. My joke is always like, we invented the internet, um, but we also don't have enough people to run it. Right. (laughs) So, so there you go. Everybody else figure it out. That's hilarious. Um, But I guess like, so how do we solve this? And one of the things that you said at Changemakers that I really, really liked um, but is a massive challenge, a massive, and I wonder if people are like, I don't even know how I'm going to do that, is you said that boards of nonprofit, Christian nonprofit organizations, whether it's a church mm-hmm. or a ministry, you should have at least half of your board members be Gen X or millennials. Yes. And um, and I've actually mentioned that to a number of people, and I, they kind of get a panicked look. Yes. They think they're thinking, who am I going to get, and how do we do this? And but the baby boomers who make up the majority of our board members give us all the money. And so what do we do? So this is a huge problem. So. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of thoughts. One is when you're talking about health. Okay. So only frame this in being healthy. Health doesn't come from being comfortable. Health comes from making the right decisions, even when it's uncomfortable. Hmm. Uh, I don't go to the doctor because it's comfortable. I go to, because it's a part of good health. I don't exercise because it's comfortable. That's horrible. Right? I exercise because it's part of good health. Some of these changes are hard and they're painful and they're forcing us to do things we mm-hmm. haven't done before. So a couple thoughts. Yes, I would say uh, 51% of your board should be Gen X or millennial. And the reason that's so critical is because there's new operating systems there's new ways of thinking. And if you're going to attract younger leaders to your organization and, and ultimately put in place your younger, when I mean younger, what I mean by, uh, you know, 40-something, 30-something something upper management, mm. not late 50s, early 60s, okay? Mm-hmm. If you're going to put that type of management in, they need to relate to a board that understands them, works with them, is living for the same kind of future. Mm. And they're mm-hmm. kind of in rhythm together, understanding where culture is going. I know that's challenging. So that, that means a couple things. If you're one of those older board members that are making a big check and you like being at the table, mm-hmm. right? You still have to make the big check and you have to ask to be replaced and say, I'd love to you know, be an, a mentor, advisor, be a part of the organization. I'm not going anywhere, but I want this board seat occupied by somebody who's uh, in their 40s, in their 30s. Mm-hmm. And um, that's challenging. But at the same time, if you roll the clock ahead five, six years, if we don't do that collectively, you know, you'll have that thing of like, what just happened? Mm-hmm. And we'll be looking back and say, why didn't I make a change earlier? Mm-hmm. And I just think this is the moment in time to have that conversation and to and to do that hard work because it's healthy for us. It'll be healthy uh, for the renewal of the uh, the church mm-hmm. and for the renewal of our of our ministries for our, our leadership teams. Second thing I would say is, and this is I picked this up from another uh, leader that I thought was really good. Who makes the decision? We always would love, you know, to make our own decisions. Mm-hmm. That's the way leaders are. Like mm-hmm. I don't want anybody deciding for me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes succession is kind of like the board will be like, well, you know what? When our executive director who serves so faithfully feels at the right time, they'll let us know. That doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. Um, there's fear around, you know, if I lose this job, there will be no job that will be as mm-hmm. influential, as secure. Um, there's issues around retirement funds. Do I have enough to retire? 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, you probably have seen that staircase where you kind of climb up to the top step and then the final step in your career is back down to the bottom. Mm-hmm. You don't have like a graceful walk mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. You kind of go right down to the bottom again. And that's a conversation to be had. I don't think it should be done like in a uh, cold or crass way. These you know, A lot of people in senior leadership have served faithfully, mm-hmm. but there needs to be a safe place to process this. And talk about it so that, you know, you talk about the elephant in the room, mm-hmm. the thing we can't talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I think it's an obligation of mature leadership to be able to have those conversations where we're, we create safety, create a safe space to have real authentic conversations. Mm-hmm. And it's courageous, but I, I think it's necessary mm-hmm. um, to sort out how do we, how does a board, a board chair working with their leader, you know, talk this through mm-hmm. and and really look at it. You may need an outside consultant. Mm-hmm. You may need somebody who's a mediator in this. Uh, you might also have to look at um, packages mm-hmm. and uh, other types of roles, other types of adjustments to allow this to happen. So my my main encouragement is for us collectively as the church is to have this type of open dialogue mm-hmm. and uh, help each other get there. And I think, so we've done a couple podcasts and we'll link to them in the show notes that will actually add some more context to this conversation. It's actually, this is a great third piece to that Mm -hmm. conversation because we had a great podcast with Allison Alley where she talked about how um, she transitioned into leadership under Barry Slawenwhite and that model of being mentored and not just mentored, and, and I would say definitely not mentored in a condescending way, but mentored in a very collaborative way that is equipping a, a next-gen leader to take over. Um, and and I think that is a great model for people to look at and a great podcast to listen to about how that transition happened. And then the other one is with Drew Marshall and as an unlikely source where he actually talked about how he stepped out of pastoral ministry because he knew it wasn't where he was supposed to be anymore. And he talks a little bit about how um, there are a lot of leaders who need to step out, but they're terrified to step out. And so this is a good podcast. This is actually really funny that these themes are coming up consistently, but I think succession is a massive. So, okay, here's the thing. So yeah, you want to have these people on your board um, who are Gen X and Gen Z, Gen uh, Z and millennials, maybe Gen Z are too young. Are they? Are they too young? To no, I wouldn't. I, they're old. Uh, they're not all of them, but some of them are old souls. And if you can get a, you know, a 25 year old on your board, I would take it. They are, they're going to be very smart. And so, okay. What year is, can you r- remind oh, us they again? They debate this, they debate it, but um, 1996. Is it, Gen Z. Yeah. That's the early edge of Gen Z. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which actually, I think we have people on our team who are Gen Z yeah. and they're teaching me a lot and they are old souls. You're right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're, and they're, I, I'll tell you that it is not, actually less uncomfortable than I thought it would be because I'm asking them to speak into this podcast. And right. I've actually told them that I want them to tell me what to do mm-hmm. on this because it's new for me, but it's not new for them. They are, they are digital natives in the truest sense of the word, and this is normal for them. And so I actually need them to tell me what to do. And, and boomers get along really well with Gen Z. Okay. They both have um, a practical bent. Uh, like, can somebody help me do my taxes? Uh, you know, like a practical. Mm-hmm. And they also have uh, a grittiness. Now, sometimes they're anxious and they need some help with that. But there's another type of uh, grit and determination that comes out kind of in their their profile. And that that bodes well. So, are, are millennials as bad as everyone t- talks about? No. Uh, well, I'd say this. 
millennials should be the judge of themselves on that. You know what I mean? Like uh, there, there's a division. Uh, the research coming out is there's a division of those that are just like every generation. You know, you say, go back to the Jesus, you know, the, mm-hmm. the hippie generation. Were they as bad as what everybody thought? No. No. And now they're but, boomers. But there's some that kind of stayed in that, like, uh, how do you say? Uh, the, the old culture <laughs> yes, of the hippie yeah, culture. Yeah, and they, they don't kinda, fit anymore, they do they? They don't fit yeah. anymore. And then there's the rest of it, they just move on. And millennials, they're smart. Uh, they're um, creative. They're raising good families. And they're older than we think. Oh, yeah. Like millennials are like, some millennials are late 30s they're, now. They're coming like into their 40s. 40. And they're, they are the workforce and they're doing a great job. So I think some of the bad rap, we just, I think we just need to, be, be a little kinder to each other. Uh, one of the things I would say too is whenever people talk about differences, the most important thing to understand is what does it mean to be human? Mm. Because so much of what we don't like in other people is actually just a long-term human trait mm-hmm. that might be true in my life, yes. right? That I can't escape. And so sometimes we see in other people that stuff that's just a part of people finding their way. And so anyways, I, I would encourage boards to take risks some of the most innovative ministries in the past came because somebody took a risk and got a young board, young leadership, and older people got behind them, gave them money, mm-hmm. and said, we believe in you. Mm-hmm. And that is a timeless principle. That's not a now mm-hmm. principle. That, that goes back uh, decades and, and centuries. Uh, Salvation Army, Catherine mm-hmm. and William Booth. You know, this has been going on for a long time that younger leaders uh, God raises up and um, some group of wise or discerning older leaders get behind them. I want to just mention a couple of things about mm-hmm. the mentorship because mm-hmm. you talked about this. I'll throw in my own two cents. If you're thinking about mentorship, um, my encouragement is uh, don't feel like mentorship. First of all, that you have to be really smart to be a mentor. Um, I, I truly believe this. You can make space from anybody can make space for investing in a younger leader. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't have to get a certificate or go to a mentorship program. Make There's space. There's not 10 steps to no, mentoring? No, take them out for coffee, ask questions, um, encourage them. Every time you see something good, say, that's a good thought. If they say something you haven't thought of before, say, that's a good thought, I haven't thought of that before. Mm. Help them discover and be reinforced in their, what what is good and growing in their life that God is nurturing. Um, and then be quick to share your failures. Um, because for younger leaders, a lot of times they think older leaders don't make that many mistakes. And we all know that's hilarious, right? Because mm-hmm. we made tons of mistakes. We just don't talk about it that much. Yeah. Talk about your mistakes. Talk about your fears when you felt afraid, when it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. It's really about their, It's about them. But if you're going to make a contribution, and that's the beauty of it then, is they can learn from our mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, they, can, they can get fuel from our encouragement. Mm-hmm. We can ask them questions. And if you think maybe there's something more that you want to pull out of them, you know, just ask a question. What do you think of this? Where do you think this might go? Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be this kind of like, I'm the expert and they're the novice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of mentorship is about helping them discover what God has created them to be. They don't have to replicate you. They That's just, good. So anyways, just a few yeah. thoughts. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think that there is a lot that we can learn. I think also part of it is being open to learning um, if you are the mentee. Because I think, honestly, all of us, doesn't matter our age, are being mentored by someone, you yes. know, and or can be mentored by someone. And it can be even someone younger than that, us or older. Like, I think we've got this warped model. But I think as long as we're willing to look at other people's lives and say, you know what, I want to know more about what how what got them there or what they're learning right now or what they're doing. Um, but I think we've been a little bit afraid. I feel like sometimes as leaders, we feel like we have to have all the answers. Totally. And you, like you said, we're in a new, not a new economy. What's We're in a new world a and new none world. of us know all the answers. Nope. We're figuring it out together. Is that right? right? Absolutely. I don't think anybody knows yeah, or can predict what's going to happen next. So we it, need that kind of humble. Today. No, we need a kind of a humble spirit with each other um, to so, help each other get there. And so that leads to, and something else you talked about, and that we've talked a lot about is collaboration. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I mean, there are some things that we've talked about that I, if we say them now, that might scare people about <laughs> the way we see collaboration going in the next five to ten years for ministries. But I think that what we are seeing is a culture where. Um, probably not just in Canada, but in different places where organizations need to learn how to work with each other. Yes. <laughs> or um, what we're going to see is that people are going to work with each other. They're going to merge with right. each other or some organizations may need to shut down because they're not working with each other or <laughs> right. alongside each other. Um, and so that's, the, we're heading into a, I, we've talked about this. It's kind of a weird new world. Is that right? Yeah. And I, It's in some of the principles that we will experience in the next five to seven years are somewhat timeless. Like I read this statement, and I sometimes put it when I'm speaking as the first thing, and I pick this up. It's kind of like um, the world is changing. Some change and progress. Some don't change and stop. Mm -hmm. That's not new. Mm -hmm. That's just life, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to embrace a changing world. The rate of change is increasing mm-hmm. exponentially. I think so that's it, the scary part. That's the scary part. And what that means is it exposes, we disconnect from the relevance of the moment mm. a lot more quickly. Like we can fall behind a lot more quickly, which is makes it doubly vulnerable mm-hmm. for people in leadership. So yeah, I think in terms of collaboration, not all collaboration makes sense. Um, and so it's not like you have to kind of do forced collaboration but I do think in this time of rapid change and connection, where everybody is becoming more connected, more aware of each other, collaboration may be another word for um, meaningful, ongoing communication. Mm-hmm. You might say it that way. And uh, I think, and I've had leaders tell me this, it's hard to collaborate within organizations that are similar to you because of the, this historic fear of like competition. I might mm-hmm. lose my uh, donors. I might lose information. Do I share my data with them, my contacts? And, you know, we get kind of this zero-sum game where it's like very territorial. Mm-hmm. But um, I do think the, that, you know, what you're saying there is we live in a day where that type of thinking is, is not going to serve us well. And it's not going to play out well if we stay in that. We have to have the courage to sit down, talk, and see each other as allies mm-hmm. tackling big, important things together. Mm -hmm. So if we're in the area of being the church and uh, creating community for people, we need to band together and say, how do we serve our communities and cities better? Mm -hmm. Not see ourselves as, you know, the church down the street competing with each other over the youth group or whatever 
You know what I mean? Yeah. We have to find a way to band together and lay aside some of our differences um, uh, for partnership. And I'd say the same with uh, communication-based, you know, companies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, they're kind of getting the message out, uh, whether that's radio or television uh, Mm -hmm. or print media, um, but also in terms of social service and all every sector. Mm -hmm. I definitely think it's the the new day is going to be about working um, in safe spaces to talk honestly Mm -hmm. about what we're processing, finding out how to help each other. And that really does take a bit of humility, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a, a, a good practical example is, um, I think, what we're trying to figure out even between Graf Martin Communications and Waybase, because we see what you guys are doing and your heart for it. And someone actually said to me just even this week, they we were talking a little bit about Waybase, and they said, yeah, all that data, oh, they could do different things with it. And I'm like, but do you know them? Do you know their heart? Like, I know them. I trust them. Yeah. Um, because th- so there are people who will be like suspicious. You got all this information. And there would be people who would be suspicious of us. So, you know, Graf Martin, they just want to earn their for profit. Right. You know, it, what people don't know is that we actually are for profit so that we can invest more right. kingdom wise. Um, and that's just who we are. That's yeah. who you guys are too. And I think that, you know, what we try to do is communicate for good. Right. And I know that you're trying to use this data for good. And this is a king, this, like, we are kingdom minded, but we have these really practical tools. Right, And so I think this is a really good example, but it's kind of, there's no one who's gone ahead of us to show us how to do this. It feels like, exactly. like, how do we do this? Like we have really different mandates, but they're really similar and similar hearts. So how do we work together? What do we do? Um, so, I, and I imagine, you know, for us, it's probably clearer, but we've got ministries. Like, how do they figure this out? What are you seeing? A couple of great examples. Um, campus ministries, you know, power to change, navigators, intervarsity. Number of years ago, they their senior leaders just started to hang out. They take two days mm-hmm. without a heavy agenda and just hang out and started to pray for each other. And then they started to add more and more ministries. The largest gathering is going to be in uh, January in Ottawa after four years to just keep adding more and more people to pray and talk and think. And then as they start to trust each other, they're starting to think strategically, okay, how do we work together rather than work in silos? But I really love the example. Sean Cullen from Party Change was the first one who started to do this. Um, I also see this happening in Toronto around some cause-related issues. Um, there's a group of uh, those that serve youth at risk mm-hmm. getting together, and they're taking they're doing a project together, but taking a very relational approach. They're taking time. They get a consultant in to help them think missionally together, but do it in an organized, safe way. Mm-hmm. So one was very organic. The other one had a bit of a project mm-hmm. attached to it, but very collaborative. Mm-hmm. And open, but the relational tone, the people convening had this real relational tone. And I, you come back to what you said about the humility. The collaboration doesn't happen quickly. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't happen around people whose personalities are, are you know, uh, how do you say, unconsciously communicating that it's all about them. Mm-hmm. It has to be about mm-hmm. what God wants, but what's the greater good. Mm-hmm. And being able to see what other people's gifts and contributions are, and valuing that, so that when you get together, people feel safe and feel like, you know, somebody doesn't have a hidden agenda mm-hmm. or some sort of agenda they're trying to enforce. I think in the in the day ahead, you know, kind of in the days ahead, what we're seeing is there's a greater and greater appetite. People are expressing this more. I think because they feel vulnerable, mm-hmm. they're saying, "Is there a place that I can come and just process and talk?" Mm-hmm. 
and find some solutions that might help my organization or help our team, but help others. Uh, so I do think there's no secret to collaboration, you know, in terms of, you know, here's that one proven book. Mm-hmm. If you read it, it'll work. I think a lot of those things start in the soft skills, in things that are more related to how you treat people, how well you listen. And then also as well is you have to move in collaboration from building safety to clarity. Mm-hmm. Back to that point of clarity. Why are we investing this time together? And is mm-hmm. there something we should be doing together or adjustments we should make in our work so that we can all do better mm-hmm. you know, individually? So I don't want to make it sound like it's just one big group hug. Yeah. At some point in time, you have to really get down to becoming more effective mm-hmm. and making sure that what you're doing is serving Jesus's purposes, you know, at the, at the highest level. Yeah. And you know, when we work with brand with clients, we often spend, and I actually, this is a point I kind of harp on, um, is that it's so critical to understand what God has uniquely called and equipped your organization to do um, as part of the kingdom effort. And that uniqueness, when I say to you, you know what? I know what God has uniquely called me to do. How can I offer that up? Like That is so much easier to come to the table with than we all are kind of jockeying for the same donor, the same mission, the same job. Yes, ultimately we have the same mission in, you know, kind of like the bigger term. But I really do believe that God has called and equipped us uniquely as as organizations or ministries to a very specific thing um, that not everybody cares about. But for some reason, he has made us care about it. And when we can bring that to the table with clarity, it's amazing how we can collaborate. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where I think, you know, this podcast that you're doing, the work that you're doing, we need help in this. Because in the past, it's kind of like, we will save the world. Yes. Right? And we kind of cast these these missions as if we're the answer to everything mm-hmm. versus saying, no, we have a part to play mm-hmm. in the greater, and this is our part, and we want to do it humbly, we want to do it well. And I think that clarity comes down to, in some ways it has to do, it's a, it's a, it's inner work that we have to do in our teams and in our own lives to really know who we are. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's hard, you know, that's hard work to really kind of you know, shrink our world a bit. It is hard. But you know what? I think at the end of the day, it makes it a lot easier to fundraise. And that's, you know, that's a pain point that we see. I see from your data that there is actually a lot of fundraising happening. Absolutely. But I think that we're so afraid of a shrinking pie and getting our piece of it that we can forget that we need, if we are more um, uh, clear on who who we really connect with best, um, that it makes our fundraising a lot easier. I agree. I agree. And, you know, so I, just to finish up, because I think we we are ta- telling people they need to collaborate. We're telling people about succession. You know, like we're actually, I feel like people could walk away and go, I don't know what to do next. And, you know, one of the things that I have tried to do, and I'm trying to teach my daughter this, she's seven, is to say things like, I don't know that yet. Yes. So instead of saying, I don't know how to do it, I'm frozen, is to say, I don't know how to do that yet. <laughs> because it opens up the possibility of learning how to do it. So if someone is saying, I want to learn how to collaborate or how to um, bring a next-gen leader, I keep saying next-gen, but they're like the gen. Right. <laughs> like they're just, you they're know, just like- adults. Yeah, they're just adults. <laughs> like bring other people onto our team. And onto our board, like what are some really great tools to learn how to do that? You know, you, you can go into a chapters, you can go anywhere. And these types of books are all over the place. 
So, you know, if you're a reader, you can just look around and start reading because this is being talked about in pretty much every business sector, these types of things, succession planning, collaboration, all that stuff. I actually think, you know, if I'm going to take practical steps, less around resources, and I want to talk more about actions. Mm. I think if you're a board member and you hear this, like, "Mm, maybe our board needs to do this, real practical thing is get those other podcasts, you know, listen to them, Mm -hmm. give them to your board chair, take your board chair out and say, I'd like to talk about this and actually turn it into a meeting Mm -hmm. and talk with them about it and say, I think maybe this needs to happen. It's brave conversation. It's a brave conversation, but that it's, you know, you're not facing persecution. No. Right. It's just having a coffee and saying, hey, I think we need to do this. And I see this as just being responsible. Mm -hmm. You know, I see that as just a leadership responsibility. That's something practical you can do. Um, I think in terms of the collaboration, a lot of times it starts with the same thing of like, uh, you know, looking around and say, who should I be having a coffee with? Mm -hmm. And sit down and have a conversation uh, with them. Um, And then build out from there. That's how basically Sean Cullen started this. Mm -hmm. He called a few people and they started to talk. Good. You know, and I would say in, you know, there, we're going to be doing a series of meetings. We're planning a series of meetings. We did uh, 30 in cities across uh, Canada last year or this past year. We're planning to do um, with our partners again, host these meetings. So 30 we want, cities. 30 That's cities. That's ambitious. That's 31. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. 31 cities. And um, we're planning to do that again because we want to create a, a place where people can come and process and actually do some work together. And uh, we're calling them city think tanks, mm-hmm. where you're focused on the well-being of the city, uh, spiritually, um, socially, every that's a, aspect. That's a great way to get plugged in. And and to just connect with that, uh, you know, that's an opportunity. If you hear about it, join us there. And we're going to... Like what sort of cities are you including? Uh, well, it, it's the uh, the larger population cities mm-hmm. going right from St. John's right to Vancouver and Victoria. Excellent. Right across. So if you think of the kind of the well-known you know, cities that are a little bit larger, Halifax, Moncton, mm-hmm. you know. And that's Montreal. on the Waybase. So is, will that be on the Waybase uh, website or where will where will people find that information to find their own city think tank? Uh, we'll be connecting with everybody in that city, inviting them out. So you, if you're a part of an organization, uh, you can also just go to um, Waybase, sign in, uh, you know, create a user account and uh, then check for newsletters just as a user. Perfect you'll get updates on these things happening. So uh, I want to make that simple. But there's more opportunities than that. That's the one, that's the part that we're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, there are movements in cities. There's other places. Um, there's associations. Now, for a lot of us, where the hardest point in collaboration is with our competitors, so we actually know them well, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. not kind of like the mystery people out there. Mm-hmm. It's the people we know that we're like, hmm, what do we do with them? Mm-hmm. And it's courageous to say to that other leader, if you're a leader, Hey, can we have coffee? Mm-hmm. And let's get a, after you have that coffee, what do you think about getting a few of us together and talk about the things we struggle with? I think that's where some of the most powerful collaboration can take place, starting by building some trust at that, Excellent. At that uh, level. And I know Allison Alley, when she was doing her podcast, she said that she and Michael Messenger are reading the book Rooting for Rivals. Yes. They're both reading it. And I love that. And that's actually a great book. We'll link it in the show notes as well, um, where we actually, you know, collaboration, I really do believe collaboration is key to thriving as we move forward. And If we're going to do a shout out to a book, I'll give another one. Yeah, Because that's absolutely. a great book. Rooting for Rivals is a great one. Another one that's very, I, I think, kind of in the same stream called Collaborating with the Enemy. Oh, that's a really good one. It's connected to the UN, collaborating with the enemy. 
And uh, I'll give you the link. You can add that to as well. It's a short book, very short, but excellent book. And it will scare anyone who visits your office and sees it on your desk. So there you go. There's also that. Um, If you want to keep people out of your office for a while (laughs) or keep them coming in, I guess, to find out what is actually happening. Tim, is there anything else that we should know about Waybase? Like anything that if anyone is listening and has never visited the Waybase website, number one, go to the Waybase website. We'll include the link in the show notes so that you can find it. But like you have listings for almost every church across Canada, correct? So like make sure it's right, number one. Yeah, you can go in and claim your listing. We are going to be, um, we're going through our, our next round of data cleaning which means we'll just be uh, completing the listings and uh, going through that process. We're not, uh, I just presented uh, to the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, to their denominational leaders, and presented uh, this past week to the Canadian Council of Churches, uh, their executive. So this isn't being done, as you said, kind of like um, they're going to steal our data and start selling data lists. So there's going to be a big advertising thing. There's no advertising on the platform. It's called an information location tool which means it's just about helping people more quickly connect to you. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to misrepresent you. We're trying to accurately represent what you offer and to allow people to quickly find you and and uh, find their fit in mm-hmm. in the communities that we offer, the, the different unique uh, contributions we make, mm-hmm. and to make that easy. Also, another purpose in this is if you look around, you'll see this. Uh, on the way on the Waybase site, particularly if you click through, like what is the impact network in joining? One of the purposes we have is to actually organize it so we can communicate to municipal leaders, provincially and federally, what the church offers. Hmm. Because right now people don't know. You know, I had someone who works with the Supreme Court of Canada said they don't know what the church offers, and just by organizing, allow a different levels of society to know what we offer and to open ourselves up for places where we might be able to make even a bigger contribution because they'll know what we offer and they can communicate to us in a simple way. Mm. And so it is um, meant to ultimately be a service, Mm -hmm. uh, trying to service everybody equally well and to not tell you what you should do, uh, but just simply help more people connect to you and and what God's called you to do. And I personally love the work um, and the heart of the people on the team at Waybase. Uh, And I, you know, one of the best examples that you shared with me, and I'll use this to wrap us up because we could talk forever. um, But you talked about how as like, this is millennial driven because they said, this is how we look for information. So if um, someone who is 35 moves to another city or in their own city and is just not church engaged and wants to find a Bible study, for example, on a certain topic, they're going to Google it, right? right? And right now I have no idea what they would find because most churches don't post that information except on their website. So I have to know which church to go to, what to, like it is not user-friendly for a millennial, let alone, um, or a Gen Xer, because this is what I do. I'm like, well, we just actually, I just tell Google, I don't even type it anymore. I just ask Google like, okay, Google, where's there a Bible study in my town? So Right, and that's why all these platforms like TripAdvisor or Expedia or Realtor.ca or Zumato or any of these things exist because Google just gives you kind of a representative, doesn't give you everything. And it also doesn't have any filters. Like you're constantly like, mm-hmm. what am I looking for? I'm trying to find mm-hmm. it. Add another word to see yeah, if you try can get, get it. See yeah. if I can get it. Where this platform will be designed. It's in beta. So you're not seeing it fully formed, but you can check us, see what's mm-hmm. being built by this team. 
Um, it will basically be, you know, available. You type in something in Google and it will appear right below it mm -hmm. and you can search it and it'll kind of take you right to what you're looking for. In time, right now, it just has organizations. We'll have events and we'll have, mm -hmm. you know, the classes and all the other stuff. It'll be a marketplace. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever you're looking for, we're kind of in the Christian sector, we'll organize there, um, make it easy for people to find what they're looking for. And the other, the other example you gave me that I thought this is brilliant um, is you were talking about in one town, or I think it was in Vancouver, that there might have been two organizations that were building like homeless uh, outreach or a it was a, it was a welfare two they built both multi-million dollar um basically a, a welfare facility to serve social needs across the street from each other and didn't know until one put up grand opening that they had done this and it literally is just because they had no way to know mm -hmm. that each other was doing this and uh, so the, yeah on the back end the concept of the impact network is to allow people to know what's happening like if a church planter is coming to your area or there's some new big event, you know, so we don't have all this collision all the time. Mm -hmm. We had it on our tour this last year. Somebody came and said to us after the event, it just happened again. Two youth centers were built right in the same community, raised all this money, staffed them and found out mm -hmm. right when they're opening that they had duplicated each other. So from a donor point of view or from a volunteer mm -hmm. point of view, you know, being better coordinated, hopefully that, that type of money can be redistributed and make sure that more people are helped mm -hmm. versus kind of like uh, that kind of bad feeling you mm -hmm. have. Mm -hmm. uh, we we wasted um, money, unfortunately. And this is why the data matters, because it actually helps us be better collaborators, better stewards, and more strategic, because we, I, I believe we are in those times. We know that they aren't just changing, they have changed. And um, as the church, this is really helping us get up to speed with that. There's so. some beautiful things happening that what even when we went out, that people don't even know are happening in their city. And again, particularly when you look at the multicultural nature, a lot of these new, really amazing things happening are going like we don't even know they're there. Mm. And so I think there's uh, even kind of an appreciating who we are, I think can be enhanced and realized, you know what? Uh, God is always at work. You know, it, you know, we see changes. Sometimes you say we as Canadians have this negative filter. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all bad news and yeah. bad headlines and everything. I'm like... I've said, you know, Jesus isn't uncomfortable right now. Like, it isn't like God's wringing his hands, worried, oh, what's going to happen? It's God has like, a plan. God program, is working. Guys. Yeah. He's, uh, it's always a new day for God, yeah. right? He's always at work. And uh, we have an opportunity to join that. I think that's really cool. So hopeful. I am so grateful that you have joined us today. I'm so glad that you've been able to listen in wherever you are, in your car or wherever. Um, and yeah, check out the show notes. There's going to be a lot of information there. And thanks for joining us. Alan, privilege. Thank it's you amazing. so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Changemakers podcast brought to you by Graf Martin Communications, your marketing team for good. Graf Martin Communications is Canada's leading PR and marketing agency serving faith-based organizations from coast to coast. Visit grafmartin.com to learn more.